as it was said, uh, today is the last Sunday of 2018, and usually the end of the year is a time that's filled with reflection as we look back, uh, some regret as to how this year went, and resolution, resolution as to how we are going to change and we are looking to live in the new year. And so as a congregation, as we are winding down the year, naturally looking back and looking forward, I thought it would be helpful if we go back a few chapters in our study of Exodus and revisit this journey narrative, uh, this journey motif found in chapters 13 and 14. And as we look at these chapters, I want to examine how, how God is leading his people. Exodus 13 marks the beginning of this journey for the Israelites. Now, if I have a map of the journey, and if you look here, um, I wonder if this pointer is going to work. It's actually not working. But if you look all the way up here, uh, in Egypt, uh, you'll find Ramses. Uh, no, it's not working. Uh, you'll, you'll see that they started in Ramses. So this is their starting point, and they need to go northeast, all the way up to the land of Canaan. Now, if you, you want to go from Egypt, Ramses, and go all the way into Canaan, the best way to travel would just be to just take a straight line all the way up. But this is not the road that they took. If you look at this map and you try to make sense of it, the blue line is the actual road that the Israelites traveled. So they have to go from point A to point B, and instead of going straight, the Lord leads them down crossing the Red Sea, into the wilderness of sin to Sinai, back up, and if you see, they loop around again, and then they cross the Jordan and head into the land. Now, if I were to ask you, what do you think about this journey? What do you think about this road? You would probably say this is not efficient. This is not the most eco-friendly in fact, this journey that we find in Exodus actually doesn't make any sense. You know, this journey is a journey that takes maybe 10 days, at most three weeks with a large group of people in caravans. But the journey that the Israelites actually went on, it took them 40 years. 40 years. You know, if I were to ask you this morning, can you draw a map of your life however long you've been living from point A to point B, where you are now, if I were to ask you, hey, can you draw a map of your life, I would imagine it would look somewhat similar to this, with lots of curves, lots of circling, lots of detours. If I ask you to draw a map of your relationships, if I ask you to draw a map of your career or the things that you want to do, I would say it would look a lot like this. Not going straight from point A to point B, but going south and north, east and west, circling around and around and around. 
you know, we have to ask the question, why? Why is God leading His people in this way? Why is God leading our lives in this way? Why does it seem that life is filled with dispensable detours and wasteful wandering and pointless pit stops? You know, in a world where efficiency is so prized, why does life seem to be just so inefficient? Or more importantly, why does God seem to be so inefficient? You know, uh, I just got back from a really long journey. Um, as, as was announced, uh, some of our college students and young adults, uh, we traveled to St. Louis for a conference, a missions conference there, uh, led by InterVarsity. Now, we had decided we need to arrive in St. Louis at a certain time, in time on Thursday night for the opening service. And so one of our congregants, one of our members, he mapped out the road. He said, we can travel from Horsham, PA to St. Louis in about 14 hours if we are really efficient and we make sure we get everything down. And so we said, all right, that's what we'll do. So we left 4 a.m. Uh, from church on Thursday morning. Our first stop was in New Stanton, uh, Pennsylvania. That's about a, a four-hour drive, four, three-and-a-half-hour drive. But we, we made it one shot, and we got to New Stanton, and we took our first stop, went, quickly went to the bathroom, refueled, and we said, we're going right back on the road. So we got back on the road. We decided, you know, it was a long drive, so we switched drivers. Now, when we switched drivers, we got back on the road, and one of the drivers for one of the vans missed an exit. I'm not going to say who it is, but it was a stupid driver from New York. <laughs> you know, we were supposed to get off of 76 and get on 70, uh, but I thought, we're, we're going west. We're going the same direction. So, we just, so I just stayed on 76, not knowing that 76 would take me north. It was too late. We were driving, and a sign for Pittsburgh came up. And I realized, oh no, we're going the wrong way. So we quickly put in our GPS, and the maps now are taking us on a detour. It was just in time for the Pittsburgh morning traffic. And we uh, looked at the clock, and we realized, we called the other van, I said, where are you? And they said they were at such and such a point, and we realized that I was, I was 40 minutes off. 40 minutes off. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a guy who hates detours. I'm a guy who hates inefficiency. I'm a guy who hates wasting time, and it's killing me inside. And so I realized, you know what? I'm going to make up ground. I am going to push it, cut some of the brakes, and I'm going to push this as fast and as hard as I can. So we do. We go all the way up to Pittsburgh, and we finally get back on the right road. And the moment we get back on the right road, a cop pulls me over. <laughs> and when I see the sirens go off, the first thing I'm thinking is, how long is this going to send me back again? <laughs> thinking, oh my goodness, the car is uh, a rental, so he's going to have to look that up. I'm an out-of-state license, so he's going to have to look that up. And it's going to take forever. 
and for me, all along the road as I'm going, I'm calculating lost time. How much time are we losing? How much time do we lose out on? How much do we have to gain? Because the difference between, you know, arriving there on time as opposed to arriving late is the difference of not being able to attend the opening service. And if we can't attend the opening service, there's no reason we, you know, for us to have left so early. And I'm calculating all of this in my mind, and this thing is really, really messing me up. So much so, when we stop for our first lunch break, I subject myself to punishment, and I don't even eat lunch. I say, no, you don't deserve to eat lunch, Stephen. You don't. You know, detours are the worst thing. Detours are the worst. But man, if you think about life, a lot of life is detouring. And you know, we have to ask the question, if God is leading us, why is God such a bad navigator? Why does God take us through so many pointless pit stops and so much wasteful wandering? Why can't he just take us from A to B? You know, if that is how you feel this morning, if you look back in 2018 and you say, man, I haven't made any progress in life. If you look back and you're thinking, man, I've wasted my life again. And if right now you are trying to make up for all of that wasted time by just going recklessly through life, or if you're on a road journeying and you have no idea where you're going, please consider with me this morning from Exodus 13 and 14, how God leads his people. How is it that God, he is leading his people? Please consider with me what God is doing. As we open up to today's passage and we ask the question, why does God take his people on what seems to be this wasteful wandering? There are a few reasons. The first reason that we get is for protection, for protection. See, the passage tells us in Exodus 13 that if God, the passage tells us that God knows if the people go straight from where they are, from Egypt into the promised land, if they go straight there, they'll run into the Philistines. They'll run into the seafarers. And these are people who've had advanced weaponry. And he knows that if they run into the Philistines, they will have to fight a war, and this would cause serious backsliding. I mean, the Israelites just finished this exhausting series of plagues. They've experienced God's overwhelming power and salvation. And they are exhausted. They are overwhelmed emotionally and mentally. And God knows if the people face war right away, they would go right back into Egypt. The people would say, I would rather be a slave than fight the Philistines. And God, knowing that his people were not ready for this, for the sake of protecting his people, he decides to take them on a much longer route. You know, this is insight, you know, the insight that we have in Exodus 13 as to why God did this. This insight and foresight is something that only we, the readers, have. The two million travelers, they don't know this. They're just following God. They're probably wondering, why are we going the wrong way? They don't know what is ahead. They don't know that God is doing this for their protection. You know, the thing about protection 
is that most of the time, the one who is being protected, the one receiving the protection, he or she actually doesn't know how they are being protected. For instance, one of the biggest jobs of the US government is to protect its citizens. But we don't know really how the government protects us. We have the Department of Homeland Security, and we have the Department of Defense, two of the largest cabinet departments. They have the largest budgets, but they are also the most covert departments. They operate mostly in secret. Because protection has to be private. Even the one, even the one receiving the protection doesn't often know how he or she is being protected. Or consider the protection that parents give to their children. Parents protect their children, and when they do so, they really don't explain or tell them how they're being protected. Parents protect their children from their surroundings, they protect them from themselves, but they don't really explain to the children, hey, I am doing this for your protection. My youngest son, who is now uh, six months old, Brooklyn, he's at the stage now where he's starting to grab everything, and everything he grabs, he puts in his mouth. And as a form of protection, as parents, what we have to do is we have to clear his surroundings with foreign objects. Now, he has about a six-inch reach, right? His arms don't extend out too much. It's about six-inch. And it's my job to make sure there's nothing six inches within his reach. It can be eight inches. It can be 10 inches. But I have to make sure it's not within six inches. Now, I can't explain to him, listen, even though there's this really shiny carrot that you want to eat, I cannot give it to you because you cannot digest it. It's for your own good. It's for your protection. I don't tell him that. He doesn't have that kind of foresight. So there really is no point in trying to explain. My job is simply to protect. You know, even as friends, if you know someone or something that is going to harm a close friend of yours, what you do is you try to protect your friend. But every single time you protect your friend, you don't necessarily tell him or her. You do it with their best interest in mind. See, one of the reasons for this seemingly wasteful wandering is protection. God, he doesn't tell them, he doesn't take out a map and he doesn't say, hey, listen, you're here and you're here, and I'm going to take you this way because I want to protect you. No. Instead, he leads them that way so that they can rest and they can be restored. The people don't have that kind of insight or foresight. But the Lord, in his good mercy and his sovereignty, does just that. You know, the truth is, friends, no matter how well you planned your life out, or how good of an organizer you are in life, you don't know what your life is going to look like in the future. You don't know what's ahead. I mean, even the past five years, if I, were, if I asked you five years ago, hey, I want you to map out your life, plot out what you think your life is going to look like in five years, put it in a time capsule. And if we were to open that up today, what you had planned and what you had imagined would look drastically different. The truth is we don't know what's ahead. Even our own lives, we don't know what the future entails. 
But you know who does? God. God knows. And because he knows what your journey is going to be like, in his wisdom and in his loving care, he guides you for the sake of protection. In addition to protection, there's also another reason why God, he leads us in this seemingly inefficient way. He leads us for protection, but he also leads us for the sake of preparation. Friends, I want you to know that this wandering that the Israelites are doing, it's not pointless. It's not some arbitrary wandering. It's intentional. You know, usually when we think, how can we get from point A to point B, right? The first thing that we think is, how can we get there the fastest? How can we get there the fastest? How can we get there in the least amount of steps, using the least amount of gas, using the least amount of effort? How can I get there the fastest? But for God, the point is not, how can I take the people from point A to point B in the fastest way? No, God's intention is, how can I get them from point A to point B, and how can I prepare them for what is ahead? If you think about the Israelites at this point, they've been slaves for 400 years. You know what it's like to be a slave for 400 years? You have no memory or knowledge of life outside of slavery. Your father was a slave. Your grandfather was your slave. Was a slave. Your great-grandfather was a slave. You've been a slave for 400 years. You don't know anything outside of slavery. They lived under oppression. They lived in Egypt, worshiping Egyptian gods. And now God is leading them into the promised land. They are going to become a sovereign country. And so the question is, what laws are they going to abide by? Which god or gods are they going to worship? What is life going to be like now that they are free? Well, this wilderness journey is a time where God is now preparing them for the life that is ahead. This wilderness journey is all about God revealing himself more and more to his people, teaching them about worship, creating new habits, giving them laws that are consistent with his character. You see, the wilderness journey is a necessary time. It's a time that the people need that they can take off old habits old habits from their former lives in slavery and now putting on a new life, being prepared for, new, for a new country. You know, I think it's coincidental, or it's, it's more than coincidental. The people have been slaves for 400 years, and God had them wander for 40 years. God understood that it, it would take over a generation for the people to finally take off their old garments, their old habits, their old ways, and to learn who God is in preparation for where they are headed. You know, the Old Testament scholar uh, Pete Enns, he uh, is really insightful when he describes the Israelites in the wilderness as a child. He says this, if Israel's departure from Egypt is her birth, Right? If we can liken Israel's departure from Egypt as birth, she now in the wilderness is in her period of infancy, 
the beginning where God is taking his people by the hand and teaching them patiently and lovingly about who he is and what he has in store for them. You know, much like a parent, you know, the job, God's job is not just to take the people from point A to point B. A parent's job is not just to take the child from birth to infancy to adulthood, but it's to prepare them along the way for what's ahead. You know, even if a mom knows the moment she gives birth to a child, even if the mother knows this child will one day go to college, she doesn't go straight from the delivery room to the hospital. She doesn't go straight from the hospital to a college admissions office. She doesn't take the infant in his car seat or her car seat, drops him off at admission center and say, here, I brought him to college because I know he's going to go to college. How foolish would that be? Much in the same way that a soldier, when a civilian signs up to be a soldier, just doesn't go off to war. But he has to first do booth camp. Much in the same way when you dream of having a job, when you say, you know what, I want to become a surgeon, you don't go straight to Einstein Hospital and say, I'm here with scrubs on. I can do surgery. No, only Dookie Hauser can do that, right? You can't do that. There's a time of preparing in between. And that is what God is doing. We might look at this journey and this wandering and wonder, what is going on? Why is God doing this? Well, God, he's actually preparing his people for new life in the new land. You know, I think one, it's, I think it's, it's, you know, interesting that, you know, the moment we confess Christ, the moment we are baptized and we believe in Jesus and we receive eternal life, the moment we do that, we don't immediately go up to heaven. Even though our salvation is secured, we don't immediately go up to heaven. I mean, imagine if that happened, right? Every single time someone confessed Christ and received eternal life for the first time, right? When that baptism water came upon them, you know, imagine they're just like taken up, right? And they go straight up to heaven. I mean, that would be cool. That would be really, really cool. But no, you confess Jesus, you receive eternal life. After you're baptized, you open your eyes and you realize, oh, I'm in the same place. You know, this wilderness journey teaches us that life here on earth, the purpose of life here on, on earth is in preparation for life in the new heavens and the new earth. We've come from a life of sin, we've come from a life of slavery, and now we are slowly taking this off and putting on Christ more and more. We are preparing for what life is going to be like. This is the reason why we gather weekly for worship. This is the reason why we come together weekly and worship him and sing songs, because we are doing this in preparation for what life is going to be like in the new heavens and new earth. This is the reason why we gather to study his word and share fellowship and to grow in his likeness, because in doing so, we are preparing for what is ahead in heaven. You know, this ought to challenge and change drastically how we view life on earth. You know, life here on earth is not a layover where we're just waiting for the next thing. Life here on earth is not pointless wandering. 
the reason why you and I are wandering and journeying here in heaven or journeying here on earth is because God, through this life, through our life now, however long, 60, 70, 100 years, the Lord, He is teaching us. He is preparing us. He is teaching us obedience and dependence. He is teaching us and preparing us for what is ahead. He is rearing us in the gospel. Friends, life here on earth is necessary. Because, you know, when we eventually get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we actually won't have to trust anymore. We won't have to trust because everything would be realized. When we get to heaven, we won't need faith anymore because everything would be sight. When we get to heaven, hope is no more. Why? Because there's nothing to hope for. But here, on this journey, only on this journey, can we trust, can we have faith, can we hope? And that is what God is doing. He's taking on this journey that seems somewhat arbitrary and at times wasteful. And he's doing this to prepare us, to teach us faith, to instill in us hope, to have us continue to trust in Him. Only here on this world can we trust in the one that we have not seen and hope in the things that have yet to come. Only here on, in this world can we have faith in the returning King. Only here. You know, and I think that changes drastically how we view our lives. If what God is doing is preparing us what God is doing is teaching us trust and dependence and obedience. Something that we won't do anymore in the coming day. Doesn't it create in us this deep desire? Yes. I want to trust more. I want to have faith more. I want to learn more. So it seems that God in this wilderness journey, he's taking them through this way for protection and for preparation. This is the reason why, why God, he is doing this. But I think there's also one more question that we have to ask, and it's what? We know why God is doing this now. What should we do now? What should we do? When life seems like we're just wandering, when life is filled with this disp these dispensable detours, what should we do? And the answer is, we must look to the one who is leading us. We must look to Jesus. You know, Exodus 13 tells us how God led his people. He came down in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire. And the text tells us that he actually went before them as a cloud during the day and as fire during the night. Now, if you think about this, right? You're in a desert, right? And during the day, there's this large cloud in front of you. And the reason why there's this cloud in front of you is to, is to block the harmful sun, right? It's to block the sun from harming you, from shining too bright. There's this cloud that's protecting you, right? And two million people, the only thing that they see in front of them is a cloud. At night, when they're traveling, 
right? There's, there's no, there, you know, there are no street lights, any, anything in the desert, and they see just this huge fire that's before them that's warming them in the cold desert, and that's giving light. And for 40 years, what the people are doing is they have no vision of what's ahead. They just see a cloud, and they just see a fire, and they walk and walk and walk. And for 40 years, the people did not know where they were going. They didn't know where they were at. The only thing that they saw before them was a cloud and fire. And they walked. You know, I think there is a uh, misconception that we have on what it means to be lost. Right? Have you ever felt like you were lost? Or were you ever in a situation where you were actually lost? You know what it means to be lost? It doesn't mean that you're in unfamiliar grounds. That's not what it means to be lost. You can be in the most foreign place. You can have no idea of the language, the street signs, where you're at. But if you have a guide, you're not lost. When are you lost? When are you lost? You're lost when you don't have a guide. That's when you're actually lost. You know, uh, last year during one of our Bible studies, uh, a parent shared a story of a time when they lost their daughter. They had lost their daughter at a beach. They were at a family vacation together, just hanging out in the beach, and the child was playing. She saw her parents, but she wandered off. She wandered off. She must have gone maybe 100 yards But that hundred yards was the difference of being found and the difference of being lost. The father tells the story that when he he realized that the daughter was nowhere in sight, he starts frantically running up and down the beach looking for her in a sea of people. And he tells the story that the moment she saw him, she starts crying and she runs to him. That's the moment she was found. And I asked him the question, how is it that a difference of a couple of yards can be the difference between being lost and being found? It's because the daughter did not have her sight on her father. Her daughter did not see where her dad was. Friends, you and I, we never know where we are headed. Life is always about being in uncharted waters. You know, this is the last Sunday of 2018, and once when 2018, we don't get a retry, we don't get a redo, we don't start in 2018 after, after having spent this year. Life is always about being in unfamiliar territory. But you know when it is that we're lost? We're lost when our sight is not on our shepherd. We're lost when our vision is not upon God. You know, for those of you who feel lost, who don't know where you're headed or where you're going, that's okay. No one does. But the point is who you have to look to. Look to your shepherd who is leading you. And no matter the territory, no matter how unfamiliar you are in whatever land or whatever situation life may bring, 
if you have your sight on Jesus, you're not lost. And so in closing, this passage, this Exodus wilderness, this wandering tells us that all this traveling that we are doing is actually good for us, that God is protecting us, that God is preparing us. And God, yes, He is not the most efficient God. And as many of us know, He is not the fastest God. But He is a perfect God. You know, Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 is a time where the people, after wandering for 40 years, they're about to finally enter. They're about to finally enter. After wandering about 40 years, they finally enter, and they sing a song, and this is the lyrics of the song. The people sing out, and they say this, God, he is the rock, and his works are perfect. A faithful God who does no wrong. This is the song that they sing. For 40 years they've wandered. When they could have gone there in three weeks, 40 years they wandered. And when they finally get to the land, they don't say, God, it's about time. No, their confession is, God, you are perfect. You do no wrong. Your ways are true. As we end the year, and during this time filled with reflection, some regret, and resolution, I encourage us this morning to rest in the righteous one whose ways are always right. Nothing goes according to plan. But everything is good because the Lord, He is perfect. 2019, we don't know what 2019 may bring, but let us keep our eyes upon our shepherd. Keep your sight upon Jesus and may He be faithful to lead us. Let's pray.